Exhausted contestants sprint to the finish mat at the bottom of the world. No one expects to be greeted by a tall man in a black suit and tie and a serious look, surrounded by hundreds of sheep. The fate of each couple lies in the words about to come from his eldest son's mouth. He's mostly known by reality TV fans as the greeter of Amazing Race 13 in New Zealand and had his 15 seconds of fame with the following line. Hi, I'm Phil's dad. Welcome to New Zealand. I knew I couldn't go back. Ages, you just wife. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it. He's known me longer than anyone except my mum, and he's the reason I have a lust for travel, adventure, and meeting people. In this podcast, Dad gives me some fatherly words of advice and why it's important to remember my humble Kiwi roots. Okay, here we go. A bit of a chat with Dad. What do you think is the best advice you've ever given me, Dad, in my life? Uh, I think the, the best advice is to be yourself, to treat everyone the way you would like to be treated, not to have sides when it comes to uh, treating people and judging people. Mm. Be open-minded. I think the sort of qualities that your mum brought you up with more than anything else. Yeah, mum would always say, always try to find the, the good in people. Yes, I think you. And mum, I remember that. Yeah, your mum was unique and and never having sides, bias sides, always treating people equally and judging from a uh, an equal basis. Yeah. And uh, also, I think the other thing is that your mum's probably the most unselfish person I've ever come across. Yeah. And I see those qualities rubbing off in you and Ruth and. Andrew as well. Oh. Mm. I, ha- I do listen to the things you and mum say, you know. I do think of the things that you've <laughs> said. I, I think for me, the best gift that you and mum ever gave us as kids was the fact that you taught us to be uh, accepting of others and also uh, just to see the good in what people are doing like focus on what's right instead of what's wrong and the fact that we got to travel at such an early age i think taught all of us to be very adaptable in any circumstance and comfortable with anybody whether they're a prime minister or whether they're a a local farmer on the island of antigua like there was a an approach that you and mum had which is where the door always seemed to be open to anybody there was no judgment about their sexuality, their race or anything. And that definitely rubbed off on your three kids. So let's, let's talk about where, because my love of travel came from you and mum. 
you know, because I started traveling so early with you. You and mom decide that you're going to take your family to Canada. We lived there for, what, about three years or over, something? Just over three years. Three years, and you're lecturing at, at Guelph University. I was doing mainly research and some, some lecturing at Guelph. And in Canada, we joined a Canadian aid organization. We always wanted to work under more third world conditions. What was the desire to do that? Well, uh, a, a new challenge, and uh, life was so comfortable in Canada. Um, we thought, uh, well, in fact, I went to uh, Ottawa to uh, interview for a job. When I got to Ottawa, they said, oh, John, uh, we've got you here on false pretenses. We've been looking for 13 months for someone to start the forage legging project in the Eastern Caribbean. We cannot find a West Indian. Would you be interested? I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so I was you able to... You felt like a bit of a pioneer in your Absolutely. Field? Absolutely. I, I, that project, the forage legging project, I started without any land, without any plants, without any staff and without any infrastructure. So see, what an incredible see, opportunity. See, this is the thing that I admire most about you and mum. And when I think back on what I learned from you and mum, I remember mum being a teacher at Princess Margaret High School. She was asked to teach on the other side of the island. I think it was in Bethesda. We had this Volkswagen, not Volkswagen, sorry. We had a Ford Escort. A, a beat-up Ford Escort. A two-door, beat-up green Ford Escort. And I remember mum getting Ruth and I, my sister, to carry all the typewriters out of Princess Margaret High School, out of the classroom, load them into the back of the Ford Escort, yes. drive clear across the other side of the island, That's it's right. a 108 square mile island. We'd go clear across the other side of the island, unload all the typewriters. She'd teach a class until the sun went down. We'd load them all back into the, uh, into the Ford again and drive them back across to the other yeah, back and to, back to the university center where she taught. Oh, she used to do that too. I forgot. Yes. Yeah, but but I remember the thing that I remember most is just that neither one of you ever said something couldn't be done. You were very. Uh, you're both incredibly stubborn people. You're both Taurus and and two of the most stubborn people I've met, but in a good way because I always feel like you always start with not that something can't be done, but it's more like, how can it be done? And that, I think, is rubbed off on the, th on the three of us as kids. Yes, I, I would think so. And um, the, uh, the other thing is that you and Ruth had to show incredible flexibility because we kept getting visitors, technical and otherwise, and half the time you weren't sleeping in your beds mm -hmm. because someone was there. And then you had to share the house every day when, because... Your mum ended up with so many piano students that she had to give up secondary, the secondary school and just go flat out with 50 piano students. And then she developed these theory, the theory classes and used classrooms after school hours. Uh, and but there was, you know what I loved about it, Dad? There was always this great energy in the house. So we'd always have these interesting people to visit. And oh, then, indeed. And then the story of mum when she picks up the the sailors on the side of the road to come back to the house to do their washing. You remember that one? 
Yes, that, that's right. They were they were off a, a Canadian submarine and they were looking for a laundromat. And Beth said, oh, she said, come on, hop in the car and you can come and use our washing machine. I remember sitting in the car being yeah. embarrassed that mum was stopping to talk to oh, these Oh, she would always stop. Soldiers. She would stop and pick up Antiguan women, you know, walking along the road yeah. in order to go and clean someone else's house. Yeah. Uh, and But the, the interesting thing was that your mum was teaching at home and trying to get some pizzas made. Yeah. And, and anyway, the guys offered to help. And then after your mum resisted, finally they said, Ma'am, uh, this man is a chef. And just if you don't mind, uh, we will take over. And they, they cut everything your mum had cut up, they cut finer. And they made the pizzas. I remember them throwing them in the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. And then they took us down and uh, took us on board the, uh, late the submarine. Night. Late at night. Yeah, I remember that. And, and the other day, Dad, I met uh, a gentleman who's the headmaster of the Barbudan High School. Yes. And he told me that the reason he went away from Antigua to go and study science was because he met you at the sugarcane factory mm-hmm. where you'd set up your project. And he distinctly remembered the thing he remembered is one of the things that i remember where like you said you didn't have resources you didn't have a staff you didn't have a location and and you're meant to be propagating plants you didn't have a nur- you didn't have nurseries so what did you do you're at an old sugarcane factory what did you do well i decided that would be the best place for me inside the compound and then i thought well uh, what better uh, way to do experimental work and to pr- and to grow on plants than protected because there were goats wandering around, protected uh, within these uh, railway trucks, sugar trucks. Now, just as an observation, one of the things that made a lot of sense was that the top of the tray on the on the railway uh, truck was right at waist level. So all the, the, all the plants were right when you were watering, when you were working with them. I could back, back my pickup truck in and load, but not only that, we use it for nutrient response experiments, nitrogen fixation experiments. I could roll them backwards and forwards. I cleared the area uh, so I could roll them backwards and forwards. I had a water supply. You know what they call that, Dad, don't you? Innovation, film. Innovation. 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 Or in Indonesia, in Bahasa, in Perfasasi. <laughs> and you spent a bit of time in Indonesia. I spent a lot of time in Indonesia. But, Dad, where did you get, and I know Mum is the same way, it's the way that your brains, both of you, again, you're problem solvers. You, you, when you're faced with something, you immediately go into, and those are the people that I've been attracted to in my life, you know, my good friends, Scott, who's shooting here? I, I'm attracted to people who well, well Scott who Shelley stu- can can make something out of almost nothing. Exactly, improvising. It's the, it's the, it's the way that mm. people. Some people start with, "Oh, we've got a problem." They throw their hands up in the air, and then they start to identify what the problem is and label it. And then there's others that immediately go into, "We have a challenge here. How do we fix it?" And you and Mum have that in spades. And I'm just wondering, for for you, where did that come from? Well, I think it came from my upbringing. And, and uh, you see, one of the good things about, uh, I think, many New Zealanders is that we're hands-on people. And you notice the difference when you go overseas. 
I remember um, working in, in my nursery, well, quite a, a bit of time after I got things set up, and two of the old watchmen who were on the gate of the, of the compound came over to me and said to me, we have never seen a white man working like this physically, because I was pouring sweat. In fact, I was clearing the area uh, to, to this is when you were first setting there, it up. It was yes. Looking back, it was earlier, and and I said, well, probably the prime minister of New Zealand cuts his own hedge. All they said, all we've seen is the white man come in, chauffeur driven in a car. Yeah, I said, but that's not the way of, of that's the not world the way of, in many situations. Yeah. And I, I think they they learned a lot, and I learned a lot from them from from the reaction. But you've always been a believer too, as a, and I know Mum is the same, as is is to just roll up your sleeves and lead the way, meaning show the way and and show that you're prepared to do whatever what you're asking anybody else to do, yeah. meaning that that there's that uh, both of you don't you don't have these. Uh, uh, I guess you don't make up rules about who does what. It's whatever it takes to get the job done, isn't it? I think so. And I chose some staff from scratch and then I worked with them day in, every day, every day for, mm. for probably the first two years, setting the standards and setting the pace. So it was a time of just progress, progress with limited time and, and limited resources, limited finances. But making do. You, you, you remember uh, that favorite quote from Sir Ernest Rutherford? He said, "We didn't have money, so we had to think." Absolutely. And 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 I think that that quote really does epitomize what the way most New Zealanders think. One of my early memories of starting out, Dad, was was fixing up a, a one hundred dollar motorbike that I bought from the neighbor across the road that didn't work. That's a, right. It was a taka. It was an unusual check. It was some Polish Czech, or Czech or something. Taka or something. Yes, yeah, Taka. Terrible, taka. terrible motorbike. Sorry, the people of Czech Republic or wherever that was from. Might have even been Turkish or something. I'm not sure. But it wasn't a... It, <laughs> I think it, you're floundering. <laughs> it wasn't a prized motorbike. And it had all these rusty pieces. And I took the bike to bits and then I got all of the rusty pieces uh, electroplated. Do you remember that? And there was a nice little finish on them. Then we got the, the motor running again, and the top speed on that motorbike was 25 miles an hour. <laughs> Except when a truck went by. <laughs> and when a truck went by, you'd get pulled into the vacuum of the back of yeah. the 18-wheeler, and all of a sudden you were doing 40. And you were barely hanging on, you know, on the back like this. And you rode it all the way to Christchurch. Well, so that was the day that I left home. Yes. And the, the second time, because I first left home when I came all the way back to New Zealand for school. And I, and, and I had that backpack, which, which weighed at least half as much as me. And, and I left home with everything up, going up the hill out of, out of Mosgill. Didn't know if I was even going to make it out of the hills out of Dunedin. And it took me 10 and a half hours to ride 367 kilometers all the way to this flat that I, where I was renting a room. That's right. And I felt like that day was... You know, it was a pivotal day. It was, a, it was when I realized, oh boy, I'm really out in the world by myself now. Mm -hmm. So, Dad, you just turned 76. I turned 76. When you think you're 76, do you, what goes through your mind? Well, I figure I've got a lot more years left. 
a lot more things to do. I've got things I want to do. What's you on know, your... I told you I want to go to Iceland. Okay. What else would you like to do, Dad? Or do the old ghost road with you. Yep, which is over which the... Is, which is a, a new walkway uh, in, in our home area on the west coast of the South Island. Okay. Any desire to go to space? Because that's something that's on my list. No, certainly not, oh, Phil. No, no, that might be for you. <laughs> no, I like my feet firmly on the ground. No bungee jumping or anything like that. Now, being 76, Dad, what, what advice do you want to give me? Oh, keep including us the way you do. I yeah. think that's... You see, I, I think the, the most important thing to us is family. And I think that just as I was fortunate finding Beth, you were very fortunate finding Louise. I think, you know, sometimes synergies are, are so obvious. So one and one with you equals four. And so... But the other thing, not just Louise's... Uh, energy and at skills but the fact is we've always felt so included by her and yeah. and that's so important well i want to thank you for saying yes to things all the time because you and mum are yes people and i love being around people who start with yes rather than start with no dad if you could drive across america with anybody from any period in history Anybody. Who would you have in the car with you for a trip across America for, say, 10 days? Well, you, of course. Well, Dad, you don't have to pick me. You could pick someone else. You've, no. You've had no. a trip across there with me. What about, what about uh, Kerry Takanawa or Nelson Mandela? Nelson, or, I think uh, Barack Obama. Okay. Or Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Uh, I would say... Um, I'd certainly uh, welcome having them there. Good company. Yeah, when you're, in, when you're around people you want to be with, time almost stands still, doesn't it? it absolutely. It, it, it's just that great feeling. Absolutely. Thank you for always saying yes to coming on Adventures, Dad. All right, and then another question I have for you is, can you remember the last time you laughed so hard you cried? I've seen you cry a few times from laughing. <laughs> I've cried a few times from crying as well. Well, we all have. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the last time I really cried was when we had our 50th wedding anniversary and, and Andrew sang that song oh. for us, um, Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Yes. Oh. But was, were, you, were you crying in a, it was crying in a good way, oh, right? In a good way, yes. Yeah, yeah but it was so emotional. Um, laughing. You'd have to remind me. Well, of, of, Dad, I've seen you do it a lot of time. But if it doesn't come to mind, then I like the idea that you cried at your 50th wedding anniversary because Andrew, my brother, your son, brought you to tears in a good way. In a good way. Uh, and good Dad, way. the last question is, if you were going to take your last breath tomorrow, you knew you were going to take your last breath tomorrow at midnight, what would you do with your last day on earth? I'd just get it, gather everyone around. Tell them I love them, yeah. because I think uh, there's a lot of love in our family. We're, we're demonstrative. Mm -hmm. we, we express our, our feelings. We're great huggers. Yeah. Um, we are able to take the mickey out of each other. Yeah. And well, it's sort of part of the smiling. Whole, yeah, it's part of the whole culture. Uh, of our and um, we enjoy each other's company. 
And I think that's one of the key things for us as parents is seeing just how close our three children are and uh, the, uh, our, our daughter-in-law and our, our son-in-law. It's a very, very close family unit. Dad, thanks for taking some time to talk to me. You know I love you. Love you too. Yeah. And Louise. Yeah. Yeah. Very special to us. All right. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. You can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it.